0: Us, And so today, we're going to be in John 4, 39 through 45. So if you have a Bible, if you have a device, feel free to turn it on, follow uh, with us as we continue in the story of the Samaritan woman, again, in John 4, 39 through 45. And today, we're going to be uh, looking at the idea... That his word calls, said a little more completely, God's word calls us to respond, to testify, and to believe as he transforms us to show us true life. And so, has anyone in your life shaped you by their words? Uh, Maybe it was a person at school. Maybe you can remember the first time you felt insecure about something as a little kid, right? When that mean kid said something to you. Um, they said something about your personality or maybe even about your physical traits. Maybe those words had an effect on you when you got older, like in high school. Uh, Maybe there's different kinds of words said or or maybe it was another period of life, college or young adulthood, I don't know. But in life, there are bullies or even friends. I know guys, you have those friends and all you do is mock each other. It's very immature relationship. And you just, you're this, you're that, you're that. Man, those used to get on my nerves. I was like, can we ever talk about something real? Because words are powerful. And so maybe those jokes that, that your friends and you are just joking around, maybe it's family, um, that, that they, would, they mock you, you mock them, and then what you realize is those words, they actually hurt. Maybe you even laughed at, at, at people's mocking of you to cover up your own insecurities, but inside you actually felt crushed by these words because this pain lingered inside of you. And often people were honestly, if we're true, we're just scared to have real conversations with people. And we use sarcasm and humor to keep a distance, to not be real. Now, maybe the childhood axiom of sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Maybe that actually never made any sense, because words can hurt you, words crush you, because maybe those words from those friends and bullies, even years ago, high school, when you were little, your parents, maybe those words still haunt you. Maybe consciously or subconsciously, they're ringing in the back of your mind, still making you feel insecure and small. Maybe you've had a significant other. Again, dear friends, a close family member, or, or maybe even your own parents who have crushed you and cursed you with the words that come out of their mouth in, in ways, guys, that still deeply affects you today. You see, the Bible says that no one can control or tame the tongue. And the book of James 3, 5 through 10 says this of our tongue, meaning the words that come out of your mouth. It reminds me of some comedian. Do you hear the words that are coming out of my mouth? Like Chris Tucker or something. Old school rush hour. The words that come out of our mouth are damaging. Listen to this, James 3, 5 through 10. So also the tongue is a small member. It's just a small thing. Yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our other body members or parts And it stains the whole body. The things you say, stain your whole body. Setting on fire. Listen to this. The entire course of life set on hell by fire. You say the wrong thing at the wrong time, I don't care who you are, you get fired. You lose your job. You lose your relationship. You lose respect. The tongue sets on fire the entire course of one's life. It says set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast or bird or reptile or sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord our Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing And it says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And James says, my brothers, my sisters, my family, these things ought not to be so. You see, human words call us to be cursed. That's what human words do. They call us to shame, to doubt, to hate, to depression, to sadness, to insecurity, to ineffectiveness. You see, words put in action by our tongue can totally change the trajectory of one's life. And so maybe in your life, you had a certain plan or a dream or a hope of the way you wanted to turn out or of the person you wanted or still want to be. But those words you heard from others, the words you heard and hear from the words around you and the words you even tell yourself and the words Satan and his demons whisper in your ears, have you now stuck, immobile, not able to move forward the way you thought you would or could in your life. Or then maybe you're like, no, I'm good. Words don't hurt my feelings, I'm cool, I'm strong. I can sustain myself. I don't care what people say. I can make it on my own, I'm strong. I can will empower myself to block out people's words or tweets or comments or texts and all the horrible things people have told me. I don't care. You say that and you're lying. The little child in you is just bucking up because everybody cares. Friends and family, maybe you are believing the lie that you are actually strong and that you can tame words and other people's words and that their words have no influence or power or pain over you. I would encourage you in whatever way um, you are being called by the words that have shaped the person that you are today and the trajectory that you are on today to pray right now. Pray in your spirit even if you don't know God, pray and call out to him right now. Pray in your heart and mind to stop hearing the lies and the the call of those wicked words on your life. Stop. Look up with me. Look to Jesus, knowing that his word calls. And so look with me at our text today in John 4, 39 through 45, and read with me, In John 4, 39 through 45. And I think you'll be encouraged today by the word of God. Check it out. John 4, 39 through 45. Again, if you have Bible, open up. We're going to learn today that God's word doesn't return void. Oftentimes we come to church and we don't even crave the word of God. And God is saying, this is what I've given you. Check it out. John 39 through 45. John 4. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him, Jesus, because of the woman's testimony, the Samaritan woman. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. And after the two days he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And so when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So take note again of our main idea today, which is that God's word calls us to respond, to testify, and to believe as he transforms us to show us true life. Because there's a false life out there that those words and the things that that people have told you, you've told yourself, it's trying to distract you and put its claws in you to make you not heed or listen to and see the word of God. You see, in the last three weeks, we've been in the story of the Samaritan woman in John 4. And so I want to give a quick overview of John 4, 1 through 38 to remind us where we have been in the text and what we have been learning. And so to understand our text today, we must know the story of the Samaritan woman and the story of Jesus found in John 4, 1 through 8. And our story will continue today as we will end this story. So you see, if you remember the first 15 verses of John 4, we learned that Jesus was just living his life. It was kind of cool. We, we learned he was going and he was actually making disciples. He was working faithfully in his role and calling as the Messiah. And then by God's plan, Jesus passes through Samaria, a land where these Samaritans lived, who were a people that Jesus, Jesus' people, the Jews, they actually hated these Samaritans. Why? Because of their mixed ethnicity, because of them being Jewish and Assyrian descent. And these people that had conquered Israel a long time ago, they had mixed, and they, the Jews hated that mix. They, they also hated the fact that the Samaritans perverted and, and, and distorted um, their worship practices. They made their own worship practices that had come out from these Samaritans being mixed with Assyrian and other um, uh, uh, ungodly things. And so they, the Samaritans had built their own temple, and they had their own mixed religion that was part Jewish and, if you remember, part idolatry. They were worshiping Idols and a false god. And, they, and this was all from their ancestral mix. I'm not saying that, that the point wasn't that their their skin color. They probably looked just like the Jews, okay, visually. But they're, the way they, that God was always against the mixing of false religions. That's why he didn't like marriages that were unequally yoked to come together. He warned of those things. So that's what happened here. And so as we learn again in the first 15 verses... That Jesus had revealed himself to the Samaritan woman. And so we saw in John 4, 1 through 9, that, that we learn that the living water, Jesus, reveals our deep thirst, humbling us to recognize our desperate need for the, this eternal fulfillment in Jesus. Then in verses 10 through 14, we saw the living water reveals God's true nature. And that it is enlightening us to understand that only he, Jesus, can satisfy our longing. Then in verse 15, we saw that the living water, he actually offers hope, hope that quenches that thirst, bringing comfort to us as we realize that his hope is actually eternal. And then in John 4, 16 through 26, uh, we see the Samaritan woman begins to see Jesus as he truly is. She then is confronted by Jesus on her sin. Jesus calls her out, which should also call us out as we see our sin Verses 16 through 19, we learn the importance of recognizing our sin as evidence that God has actually made us born again or regenerate, regenerated us. And moving on to verses 20 through 22, we learn Jesus teaches us to identify the object of worship, cautioning against worshiping false gods or idols that deceive many people throughout their lives. And we saw in verses 23 and 24, that we should understand the necessity of worshiping in spirit and because God is spirit and we're called to live in his spirit alone. We're going to sing about this later. And then in verses 23 through 26, Jesus emphasized the need to worship in truth. For God is the embodiment of the of truth we see. And, and we are to live according to his truth and not any other truth. So, that last week we learned to declare bring your harvest lord From John 4, 27 through 38. So in this passage, we discover these important declarations that we should uh, learn from the Samaritan woman and the people in the story. That we are encouraged to one, to proclaim, let's come and see Jesus like the Samaritan woman did. As we engage in worship that is grounded in both spirit and truth. And we see that found in verses 27 through 30. Secondly, we learn to declare, um, let's eat from the food that Jesus gives which enables us to worship in spirit and truth, emphasizing the significance of partaking in God's provision found in verses 31 through 34. And then thirdly, we learned last week that we are compelled to say, let's see the plentiful harvest, recognizing the need for more workers to participate in bringing it forth as we see in verse 35. And then lastly, we learned that we are to rejoice And affirm that as we worship in spirit and truth, the ultimate farmer, our triune God, he actually orchestrates the harvest, prompting us to rest and to trust in his sovereign plan, that he is actually bringing the harvest. So this. Now brings us to our story today and to the main idea that, that we're going to learn today that God's word calls us to respond, to testify, and to believe as He actually transforms us to show us true life. So let's look at verse 39 as we learn our first point today, uh, expounded a little more that God's word calls us to respond in true belief and not unbelief. Okay? So we see the Samaritan woman responds. Now, Many people respond. Look at verse 39. It says, we, we see this. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He had told me all that I ever did. So we, we see that people respond to God in various ways. Sometimes, just like the Samaritan woman initially, they, I, I want living water. I want Jesus. Yes, of course. I don't want to burn in hell. I want all the good things that God gives. That doesn't mean you're saved. You can manipulate a child or an adult to say, to think that they're saved. And it's a lie from the pit of Satan. And so we have to be careful. People will respond to Jesus positively, seemingly. Okay? That doesn't mean we, we, we don't encourage that. Or we don't want them to. We just have to make sure we are actually proclaiming the true gospel. Many people, again, Jesus says, many are called, few are chosen. He says, there's going to be people in the last days that prophesied. They cast out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus is going to say, far away, get far away from me. I never knew you. That's scary stuff. So we have to respond correctly. And I believe the example of the Samaritan woman is a correct response. She responded. Why? Because God called her out on her sin. It said that the town believed in him. And it said many Samaritans because this woman actually testified in verse 39. And she said this crazy that she testified. Hey, man, this man called me out on my sin. Who would testify that way? (laughs) That's the sign of a true believer when she is almost bragging about how Jesus called her out on her sin. She responded because God called her out on her sin. And what did he do? Just like we learned from John 3, he made her born again. He regenerated her. She probably didn't even know what hit her. The Holy Spirit through Jesus hit her and made her new. And so my encouragement to you and my challenge to you on this point is are you responding in true belief or unbelief? I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. If you know God, you know God. Know him. No one can take you from God's hand. But many people think they know about God, but they don't know the holy God of the Bible. And this is the gospel we proclaim and the gospel we want you to know so that you can actually be transformed and have true, a true life in Christ. So can you respond today like the Samaritans in true belief? If not, what is making you not believe? Think about it. We all go through unbelief. Faith is a thing that God gives, and he gives us initial faith or belief. It's the same word in the original language. What starts to happen is we can grow in faith. We can grow in love for God. But many people will spend their whole life and not grow. And so I would, I don't know, I'm not God, but I would challenge that immature, you know, 50, 40-year-old, 60-year-old, 30-year-old. Hey, man, do you even believe? Do you believe? What is making you not believe? What is making you live in unbelief? Do you truly know God? Are you really saved? And have you been rescued by a holy God? Do you see that he's holy? Or are you responding in fear? In fears or insecurities of those words that you have heard your whole life? Are you listening to words that produce doubt and an unholy mind that hinders you from being a transformed man and woman of God? Are you stuck thinking this way? Maybe you're responding and and just trying to hide from something and trying to get a little bit of Jesus but still doing your own thing. Are you stuck thinking this way? Do you fall into the sin of always hearing other people's words before and over God's holy word and call for you and for your life? Can I encourage you today to love God's word? Love his word. That's where it starts, to love him. If you love him, you will love his word. To know that his word represents him, a holy God, and, and that you need God's word more and more every single day. It's not just something you say in church. It's something you live if you want to be changed and transformed. You need God's word to permeate and penetrate in the depths of of your heart and soul, so that transformation can actually happen in you through the Holy Spirit. That's why sometimes it doesn't happen. We don't really love God's word. We love other words, our words, the world's words, the words of the next guru out there, the next Instagram person, or this thing. We love those words, and we don't care about God's word. As it com- it confronts us and calls us out like it did the Samaritan woman, God's word calls us and it, it is powerful and it calls us to respond correctly. So think for a moment. Think of your weekly routine with me. Think of how much time you actually spend reading God's word. And then more than that, more than just a mere reading, the Bible doesn't say read it every day. If you didn't know that, it doesn't say that. But it does say to meditate on God's word every day. Hmm. So to meditate on it, you gotta read it. You gotta know it. You gotta study it you got to crave it, right? So does God's word grip your heart or impact you on a daily basis? I promise you it will change your life. Think of how much time you actually spend every day feeding and feasting on God's word or actually meditating, which is not a creepy thing, it just means to think deeply about something and to ponder Think of how much time you actually spend feeding and feasting on God's word, actually meditating on God's word that calls us to true belief and action. Are you feasting on the living water and the food that can actually transform you and give you life like we learned in the Samaritan woman story? Or are you only eating the spiritual greasy McDonald's which will eventually lead to your spiritual death? Guys, respond to God's word today by loving God's word. And if you don't love his word, man, pray, pray. If you're not feasting and meditating on God's word daily, pray right now in your spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to grip you, to crave his word because it means that you are desiring our one and true holy God. If you crave his word, you're desiring him and nothing else. Sometimes you want so many other things, and you know what Jesus said? He says, don't worry. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. You want money, you want job, you want stability, you want a family, a good man, a good woman, whatever things you want. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and his, his justice, and all these things will be added unto you. But we forget, because we, we don't want his word. We don't want to seek His word and his truth, and his truth says stop doing something, we don't like that. We're like, no, I want to keep playing in the dirt. (laughs) Guys, God's word calls us to respond in true belief and not unbelief. As we see the horrors of our sin, which there are horrors there, but we then see God's true grace. Grace. The gift to us in mercy, God relenting and not giving us what we deserve as he gives us true salvation, like the Samaritan woman. And so this leads to us to understand our second point today, that God's word calls us to testify zealously. If you've been gripped by God's word, you will testify zealously. Look with me at verse 39 through 41. We see again many Samaritans from that town believed. Why? In him, in Jesus, because of the woman's testimony. She was transformed, guys, here. She was zealous. Zealous is this excitement. It's coming from the root even of the idea of of jealousy, good jealousy, godly jealousy. The Bible says God is jealous or zealous. What does that mean? Well, just like if someone was to look at your spouse, you would have that righteous jealousy. Someone starts trying to touch or mess around with your spouse, the the good husband would say, stop, get away. What are you doing? Who are you? That's good jealousy, okay? That's not crazy. That's not toxic masculinity, right? That's what history, that's God's. It's same thing woman, right? If, if, a, if a guy, a girl comes and starts messing with your man you're like, watch out. I don't know who you think you are. That's righteous jealousy. okay? If someone comes and tries to hurt one of your kids, they better they better better not hurt one of my kids. Papa gonna knock you out right? I'm gonna knock them out. Don't mess with my kids. That's righteous. Jealousy. We don't understand the character of God. But God can hold that perfectly. We don't hold that perfectly because our jealousy becomes sinful real fast. Okay. But this is the zeal, this passion that the Samaritan woman has. Jesus told her, me every everything that I did. And there was probably more to the conversation. We don't get all the context. I think there was probably, he probably said a bunch of stuff about her life. She was probably like, whoa, 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 whoa. Man, this guy knows some stuff. But a lot of people are like, yeah, Jesus knows stuff. Jesus was true. He was a prophet. But we, we believe, as we studied last few weeks, that she was actually saved. She was made new by Jesus. So look at verse 40. It says, so when the Samaritan womans came to him, so now they believed Because of the woman's testimony, now these other people were believing. And they had passion. How do we know that? Look, it says, and, and he stayed there two days. Do you think? I, I, Jesus probably wanted to stay there. He knew his purpose. But I think the people, it says, many came to him. And they probably like, Jesus, stay with us. Teach us. Let, let me see, teach me about you. And he, they didn't even know. But the Bible said Jesus is all over the Old Testament, he's in the law and the prophets. So Jesus has probably spent two full days. Do we love God that much? Are we zealous that much to dig two full days of learning about him from the scriptures? I believe these are two full days, and Jesus is probably like, all right, gots to go. <laughs> I didn't plan on being here two days, so I love you guys. But even Jesus knew that third day wasn't what they needed. He gave them two days. And then it says, look at this. Verse 41, and then many more believed because of his word. We see these generations of disciples, from Jesus making a disciple of the Samaritan woman, then these many believed, and then it says that uh, many more believed because of his word. So if you don't think our job, we're going to sing about this as well, isn't to make disciples as Jesus does. John 4 starts that way. A lot of times we think John 4 is about the Samaritan woman. It's actually about the Samaritan woman and Jesus And how he made disciples, and he's given us an example of what she now did. These generations of disciples, because if you love God's word, you will want to pass that on to other people because that you know that it actually changes people's lives. And this is the climax of the text today. Which, again, highlights our main idea that God's word actually calls us to respond, to testify like the Samaritan woman. And we're going to look at our third point, to believe as he transforms us to show us true life. Jesus confronted her, the Samaritan woman, with her sin. And, guys, it transformed and produced this this zealous testimony. Do you have a zealous testimony? That doesn't mean you have to be screaming or super charismatic or passionate. But it is their passion in your heart and soul for Jesus and does that passion then compel you in love to tell others about who he is see we can hide in a lot of things in a, in a lot of good Christian-y things we do um, going on mission trips or going here doing that and and the zeal is not there and, and we can see it in each other guys God's word it actually does call us to respond and to testify zealously now that may look differently again like I said it may look differently um, but God's word calls us to testify zealously of our true belief which we then knows actually transforms us we have to know that it actually transforms us and changes us because let's look at verse uh, the whole text again from starting from verse 39 through verse 45 and we're going to learn our third point today that. If if God's word actually transforms us, then God's word calls us to believe. Now, belief is a tricky word in the Bible. A lot of times we think, oh, I believe. But there's the story that we see in the scriptures in Mark. The guy says, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. What does that mean? That means there's this capacity to grow in belief. There's a capacity to grow in repentance. That's not something you do day one. You keep doing that until you die. Hey, guys, there's like a bass ring. I keep hearing it. Um, God's word calls us to continually believe. We don't stop. It, it's this deep passion, the zeal that the Samaritan woman had. And, and yes, like the, the thing is when most people are new, newly converted, they will proclaim and they're excited and you kind of go through that lull because life hits you in the face. But then the story reminds us, like when you go through that, to believe again, to keep believing Jesus is the same God. He is the true God. Look at verse 39 and 45 with me. And, and let's look at the whole thing in context. Again, watch, listen, the many Samaritans from the town believe that second generation believed in Jesus because of the woman's actual testimony, her zeal, that she went out and she told. He said, he told me all that I ever did. And verse 40 says, and when the Samaritans came to him, then they had this zeal. They had this love for God's word. They asked Jesus, stay with us two days And then many more people believed because of what? Look at this now. They believed because of Jesus' word, his word. So that is what the point of this, it's pointing us to know God's word, to know who he is, that God's word produces belief, not what we say, not what we do, but God's word is what produces belief. Through Jesus, through the power of the Spirit. Why? Because Jesus is the living word. We're going to talk about this towards the end. Jesus is the living word. And then he's given us what? His written word, the Bible. So if we forget God's written word, how do we know the living word? It's like if I say something, those words come from me, not from my lips, not from my breath. So, hey, Israel said that mean thing or that nice thing, right? If you say something, your breath your mouth, your tongue, those things represent you. Jesus says, from, uh, from the heart speaks the mouth. So the things you say actually come from your heart. So guys, do you know and love God's word? Verse 42 says, They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. We appreciate your testimony. It was awesome. But we believe, for we have heard ourselves. They now heard the word declared from the word himself. And we know. That means they believe that this is indeed the Savior of the world. They now see Jesus as the one who will change everything. They see the story from Genesis to Revelation, from the one who came, who was to be God with us from the beginning and had this perfect story to tell. And he then allows sin to come into the world. And Adam and Eve fell, our ancestors, and they fell because they then, just like us, had sin and God allowed that God was not caught by surprise when he is writing this beautiful story he allowed Adam and Eve to be weak why so they could see that they actually needed him that they actually needed a savior like the Samaritan woman someone who would come the perfect one god and man who would love the whole world and he, that he would the, the, the god who would give his son who would be god in the flesh the triune God, through the power of the Spirit, would allow Jesus, this normal-looking guy. We're going to see he's, he has no honor in his hometown. Nobody thinks Jesus is special. He was a perfect kid. like He did everything perfect. And that's how, that should show us how sinful we are, that when perfection is right in front of you, you can't see it. That should humble you today. Jesus was in front of people for years. I think probably Mary saw him the closest, and she probably saw it more than anybody. But his brothers and sisters, like hey, who's this guy? I think he is? All the people in his town, they're like who's this guy? I think he is? He's an it. He's a this. He's a that. Perfection is right in front of us, and we don't see it. But they saw it, and God allows us to see it, to see the God-man that through creation, then through the fall where sin, less like the Samaritan woman, confronts us. Jesus confronts us and says, you need me, the perfect one who came, who lived a perfect life, who then died, then rose again, and then uh, ascended and promised to come back. The one who on the cross took on that, that zeal of God. He took on that anger of God on the cross because God hates sin and god said i'm not putting that sin on you guys i'm putting it on jesus and the bible says he became sin so that we those who believe in god can become the justice or the righteousness of god hear that today receive it know it and then this king who ascended said i'm coming back all the pain all the junk that you're feeling right now i'm coming back it's it's not in vain All the things you feel, all the heartache, if you know Christ, it will be washed away. We will reign with him in a new heavens and a new earth. This is the gospel story. We have to know it and love it because God's word, guys, it calls us to believe that story. It calls us to believe the true Jesus. And then the text ends kind of in a weird way. Verse 43 through 45, which is connected to what we're talking about last week, uh, next week, but it's also connected to this part of the story. It says, and after those two days, he, Jesus, departed for Galilee. This is his home. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. No, nobody thought anything about Jesus. He's just Jesus. Literally like Joshua. Or in Espanol, Jesus. Jesus, the same Jesus. This is Joshua. He was no big deal to anybody. Okay. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans, they welcomed him, having seen all that he had done. They're like, "Uh uh-oh, Jesus done did some things. Wow, Jesus, okay, right? Because they saw what he did at the feast. If you remember John 2, it's when he cleared the temple and he showed, hey, I got some authority. They're like, not bad, not bad. And then it says, for they too had gone to the feast. We'll look at this more next week. But we learn, and we learn from the text next week, that the Galileans, they wanted signs. They wanted to see the miracle worker, Jesus. That's how many people come to Jesus. And they didn't want to truly believe. Not all belief is faith or genuine belief. We'll see this in in John 6, a few chapters over, that many of the disciples, the Bible calls them disciples, left. Does that mean they were... Unsaved, no, it means they were not real believers. We're called to make disciples, not to make converts. God converts the heart. We make disciples, we make learners, we teach them about Jesus, and it's on God and that person if they're really saved. So, we're going to look at this, but the next week more. But the point is that the last verses show that these unexpected Samaritans remember how they, how the Jews hated the Samaritans, they were scumbuckets to them. They're the ones who believed, not, not the Jewish people. And compared, again, to Jesus' own Jewish Galileans, the people from his hometown in Galilee, that town called Nazareth, the point of these last verses is to show this unexpected Samaritan belief that God gave them, and it's contrasted to the people of Jesus' hometown. Because, guys, God's word, it actually calls us to believe, believe. To for, to for real know this Son of God. God's Word calls us to believe, as we know, just like the Samaritans, that the gospel, it transforms us, but it transforms others. So you, do you believe that? Do you love God, like the first commandment, which is the foundation of the gospel? The love of God, not our love for God, because that, that doesn't happen until God loves us. And if that's not the beginning seeds of the story of the gospel, it is. It's the love of God sprinkled throughout, through the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. So then you, in redemption, when you repent and believe of the gospel, not just the first time, you keep doing that. You're not getting resaved. You're knowing God and loving God more and more and more. You're believing God more and more and more. And when you do that, guys, you can have life. His word calls you. You will be transformed. So do you believe and love this God of the Bible, this God that confronts a Samaritan woman, do you really love and believe God and his word? Because he loved you first, the Bible says. Do you believe our God, the living word, and know his written word in a way that that is transforming your life, actually transforming your life, and then, like we see in the story, transforming the life of others? Is God's word impacting you that way? You see, God's word calls us to be transformed. You see, God's word calls us to be transformed to true belief that that is radically different from the world. A true belief that is totally different, that doesn't make sense, that you will be called freaks and aliens and monsters and wrong. It's, It's really changing in our culture. Things that are horribly sinful are called good, and people are glorifying in those disgusting things and telling us to believe and to bend God's word to believe darkness don't do it. Don't do it. God's word calls us to be radically different. God's word doesn't return void. That means God's word, it it will answer you. It will give you something. It will give you that true transforming life. The Bible says, remember how John started, God is the logos. That logos means he's the word. In Spanish, he's the verb, he's the action, and I think I like how both, in English, he's the, it, it, the word in Greek meant he is the reason behind all logic. He's the reason behind creation, behind everything. He's the creator of the physical and the metaphysical, which means after the physical, everything that's spiritual and physical out there. God is the creator. You see, the word logos is the word used for the word word in our text, okay, in verse 41. The word used in the original Greek is this word, the logos, and it's used in a plural form here, which I think shows us the triune God, meaning he's one God in three persons. Look at verse 41 again. It says, And many more believed, not because the woman's word, which was great, her word was based on his word. When we see... the basis of the Samaritans' believed it was based on the word of God, which called them to truly believe. They believed in the living word Jesus, who was from the beginning and also prophesied about in the written word. He was prophesied in the scripture. Jesus says, I was all up in the Old Testament. That's the beauty of loving God's word. Go read Leviticus. Go read Ezekiel. Go read Jeremiah and find Jesus there. Don't make stuff up, but ask the Spirit to show you the true Christ of the Old Testament. All these things were written thousands of years before Jesus was born. Listen to Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, which like our text today, it should comfort you to cherish God and his word like the Samaritans in our text today because we can know like they did that God's word, it calls us to respond, guys, not to stand still. It calls us to testify like the Samaritan woman, and it calls us to truly believe believe like the people in the Samaritans in the text and that, that will transform us to show us true life in him that only he Jesus can give. Listen to Isaiah 55:10 it says, "For as the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater," so it's saying just like rain makes things grow and provides So shall my word, God says. Listen, so shall my word, that's why God's word is so important, be that goes out from my mouth, God says. It shall not return empty. It will not return void. It will do work. It will call you out. It will call you up. Okay? But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, God says, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God's word calls us to respond. To testify and to believe as he transforms us to show us true life. In summary, we learned that God's word calls us to respond in true belief and not unbelief as we see the horrors of our sin in God's true grace and mercy to us in salvation. We learned, secondly, that God's word calls us to testify zealously of our true belief, which we know transforms us. And then, thirdly, God's word calls us to believe as we ourselves know that God that the gospel, it actually transforms others. So, believe. Believe truly. Believe joyfully and zealously like the Samaritan woman and the Samaritan people we see in our text. Guys, cherish God's word. Love his word so much by knowing that his word actually does not return empty. It calls us to respond So respond to God correctly. Cherish God and his word by knowing that God's word calls us to testify. So testify. Testify boldly and zealously of the life Jesus has saved you from and called you to live in for him. And cherish God's word. Love it so much to believe as he transforms us and transforms others as he shows us true life in him. Let's pray.